Okay, this is another great episode. We have Veronica Diaz, who she is a self-proclaimed endangered species. She's a solar practitioner, orthopedic surgeon down in Palm Beach, Florida. She's an upper extremity specialist. She loves rotator cuff and hand surgery too. Uh, she's also the medical director for the orthopedic platform for modernizing medicine, which has really become one of the premier uh, outpatient EHR uh, in-office systems, especially within orthopedics. Uh, it's really quite fascinating. We spent a bunch of time talking about her history, which is awesome. And then we talk about revenue cycle management, uh, electronic health uh, records, all that comes together. It's actually a really informative episode, thrilled that we could show and bring it to you all. Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro. This episode of the Ortho Show podcast is brought to you by ModMed. Envisioning a world where the orthopedic software we build increases practice success and improves patient outcomes. ModMed offers an intelligent ortho-specific cloud platform of healthcare IT solutions that help surgeons and staff save time, drive efficiency, and elevate patient experiences. To learn more and see a demo of the number one EHR system, EMMA, as well as practice management, revenue cycle management, analytics, patient engagement tools, and more, visit modmed.com slash orthopod. That's modmed.com slash orthopod. Modmed, it's about time. From medical media, this is The Ortho Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic world. And we are staying with orthopedic surgeons. And because it's so damn cold and snowy up here in New England, we decided to go down to Florida, where we're bringing you Veronica Diaz, who's an orthopedic surgeon, shoulder, upper extremity specialist. Uh, she's in private practice at the Palm Beach Hand Shoulder Clinic in Florida. Uh, she's also the medical director uh, for the orthopedic platform for modernizing medicine. Veronica, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I, I love listening to you and I love learning from you. And you've had some pretty serious horsepower on this a podcast. So I feel honored to, to be in the mix. Oh, it's great to have you on. We are kicking ass and taking numbers. I tell you, I spoke to Heather yesterday. We're number 75 medical podcast in Saudi Arabia, and we jumped up to 125 uh, in the U.S., where we like literally leapfrogged by like 47 spots in the last couple of weeks. So we're on, we're in fuego here on the Ortho Show, and we're amazing. Like, and we're gonna have some Cuban fire here on the show too. So we're thrilled to have you on. Thank you. All right. So tell us about your history. I think that's one of the things that we love to do here. Where did you get your passion for, for becoming a physician in orthopedics? Was it early on? Are there doctors in the family? Tell us about how you got here. Sure. So my great-grandfather was a family practice physician in Cuba, but um, my, my brother and my dad and my grandfather are all in the medical imaging space. So they're in sales and service for Siemens. Um, they have their own company based out of Miami and their territory is pretty big. But um, currently living, I'm the only physician in my, in my family. And um, I was an athlete in college. I swam and played water polo at Princeton. And when I got to medical school, which I, I did not think I was going to do, in fact, I had to take a year off between college and medical school 
uh, to sit for the MCAT. I ended up at UF uh, at the University of Florida, and um, I was very fortunate to uh, to get approved for something that very few medical students get approved for, which is that I was assigned to Paul Dell's uh, hand surgery service as a P, as a MS3. And doc, at the time, there was still a lot of rheumatoid arthritis deformity. University of Florida was huge in musculoskeletal oncology. So he was doing really big cases and he was doing them really well. And he was at the top of his game. And, uh, you know, he was a, a Dick Smith fellow from MGH. And that's where I sort of caught the bug. My parents wanted me or my dad wanted me to go into radiology, but I kept falling asleep in the reading room. I needed something a little more hands on. So one, le- one thing led to another. And I, I knew by the time I, I was uh, getting ready to apply for residencies that orthopedics was, was it for me. So. You know, it's funny that you bring that up, right? Because, you know, we don't really talk about it a lot, but the, the specialties of medicine are really, you know, quite different, right? Big I mean, time. I mean, you think about radiology, they sit in a dark room and they don't actually, most of them never see a patient. They have zero in immediate interaction. Anesthesia only meets you before you're right before your surgery, they put you to sleep and they, they go home and they never see you again, right? So totally. it's amazing. So if, if you're into people, and you're into the interaction and you want to be a healer, you got to pick a specialty where you see people in the daylight. <laughs> of course. And then we also tend to like a problem, fix it, move on, as opposed to management of, of chronic disease. So that also appealed to me. And, you know, orthopedics is truly, it's a little cliche to say, but it really is. Um, it is the primary care of surgical specialties because you take care of everybody. Yeah, no, completely agree. So then you decide to go for big boy, big girl residency down at uh, Jackson Memorial University in Miami. And that is, you know, we've had, we've had some, uh, some people on the show. I mean, that's a, it's a tough residency, man. It is, you're in the trenches down there. Certainly your, your bilingual status, I think may have also contributed to, and maybe family as well as to where you wanted to go. But tell us about that residency. That's, uh, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. So I might, I might get a slap on the wrist for saying this, but this, that was by far the least academic residency to which I applied and ranked. Um, I'd been away from home for 10 years at that point between being in New Jersey and then California for a year and then Gainesville. And I just, I got the itch to go back home. Um, It really opened my eyes to a side of Miami that I did not even know existed. It was like, sort of like how the other half lives. Um, You leave there, not being fearful of anything. Um, the program has evolved for the better since I left. I think there's, it's a little bit of a more controlled environment, but it's, it's still the Jack as we, as we very, um, uh, familiarly called it. And it's, it's, um, it's a tough, tough, high, high paced place, trauma-rama trauma-rama but we had good sports rotations too. You know, we had John Uribe and Keith Heckman and John V. Jack up until my chief year, and then Lee Kaplan came in. So, uh, you know, I'm very proud of having trained there. And the residents, by necessity, were unbelievably tight-knit. And uh, I remain very close with them. A lot of us are still practicing in South Florida. And so I have a nice referral network. You know, my my junior residents have now replaced joints on fam- on at least five or six family members, which is fun. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's like, it's a real esprit de corps, right? You're in there, you're taking call every second or third night, and it's a knife and gun club and crazy at all times of the night. I mean, there's no rest, but yet, you know, you come, you're done that residency. You've seen so much vast experience and not just the trauma, but all the other things. You had a great program. So I'm sure you were, uh, 
you were super happy to get through the gauntlet and then you head up to uh to pittsburgh and you do a fellowship at the allegheny general uh, hospital for upper extremity uh so tell us about that yeah so that was um i was a bit schizophrenic about what fellowship to choose it was like i was in crisis mode until the bitter end between a shoulder and elbow fellowship and a and a hand fellowship and so allegheny um First of all, the, the, the fellowship is very different now. Everyone with whom I trained is back at Pitt. Um, and now you have to choose a track. So Chris Schmidt and Dean Saterianos have a, an accredited shoulder fellowship. And then Mark Barrett and Tom Hughes are with the, the people they were with at Pitt before at least Mark was. Um, so I picked that fellowship because even though it was an accredited hand fellowship, 50% of the volume was shoulder. And that was important to me to come out of fellowship as a skilled shoulder surgeon. Uh, so what you gave up was not as much microsurgical care and um, they had to spend uh, a week or so with Scott Cozen in Philadelphia to get a little bit of exposure to congenital hand. But um, it was a good place for me to train and it very much mirrors what my current practice is like, the kind of cases that we did there. Um, not what I saw at Jackson. I have a very elective sports medicine-y uh, practice occasional low energy trauma, but that's it. You know, it's funny when you choose fellowship for for our younger orthopedic listeners who are medical students. We have a ton of our students and and residents as well. I mean, oftentimes you pick a fellowship. Is it to help for maybe some deficiencies in your residency in which you want to become expert? But it may be even, you know, your fellowship, you just you just found passion in what you were doing in residency and you wanted to step it up to be, you know, the specialist of the specialty in that area. So those are good reasons for for, for fellowship. One of our dear friends, we love to name drop. So I call him Alejandro Badia, but you call him Alex. Uh, also did your fellowship a few years apart, but you guys have a Cuban uh, history as well. So uh, we got to give a shout out to Alex. Yep. Every Cuban and especially every Cuban orthopedic surgeon knows each other. So yeah, Alex and I are like-minded. He's very enterprising, very energetic, as you know, and um, he's just an hour South of me, you know, kicking butt and taking names. So yeah, no, he's doing great. He wrote his book in the pandemic and he's got <laughs> ortho now and he's got a surgery center. We're trying to get him into ortho laser too. So we got a lot of, we got a lot of good stuff going on. So big heads up for Alejandro or Alex, <laughs> as we like to go by for sure. All right. So, so you're, you go back now you're, you're down in Florida, you choose to go into practice where family and familiarity are for sure. And so tell us about your private practice experience. You're in for about 10 years now. Is that right? I'm 12 years in. So my first two years, I was employed by a group a, a bit. I'm in Palm Beach County now. And I was employed by a group uh, a little bit north of me. And then the opportunity came up for me to buy a uh, retiring physicians practice um, uh, in Palm Beach County, actually Charlie Eaton, who uh, his claim to fame is that he was the first person to perform percutaneous needle release in the United States. So he had a huge, he's a plastics trained uh, hand surgeon, huge Dupuytren emphasis. I bought his practice. And so even though I've, I've, I've given up hand now, I'm concentrated on the shoulder as an homage to Charlie. I continue to do about 150 percutaneous needle releases a year. And it's, it's the one thing from which I draw uh internationally, I guess, people come from all over to get a, a perk needle release. And I've, I've kept that up, even though I've moved away from the hand. So the timing was right. Um, 
You got to go. I, oh, you got to go back. Judy, Judy yeah. and Sheldon are listening. Okay. My, oh, my, yes. my mother and her boyfriend. So that's right. We, we need to have a description of what that procedure is. So everybody knows. Yes. So Dupuytren uh, disease. It's uh, a disease where your 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 hand, sometimes uh, other areas, makes too much of this uh, scar-like tissue that can actually tether the fingers and make it so that you can't lay the hand flat. Not typically painful, but very functionally disabling in extreme cases. 20 million Americans have it, uh, about 2 million of them end up needing uh, treatment for it. And so what percutaneous needle releases is a technique that um, they developed in France where you numb up the skin and you use the beveled edge of a small hypodermic needle to disconnect or untether the tissue that is leading the finger to bend and not straighten out all the way. Um, and it helps a lot of people uh, avoid a very difficult surgery that isn't always the, the end-all, be-all. It isn't always the cure. So really nice tool to have in our armamentarium. And um, I'm happy to promote Charlie because he's a terrible self-promoter. He's done a lot for that and, and maybe doesn't always get the credit he deserves. So I sort of built my practice off of that. And I retained a lot of the patient's um, from where I was practicing up north, and my practice has evolved, and and um, and so now I uh, I see mostly mostly shoulder and elbow. I have about twenty thousand charts, and if you've seen me for a hand problem within the last three years, I still see you. A um, lot of shoulder arthroscopy. I'm like a rotator cuff doctor. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. Nothing, you know, left and right. I'll do both sides for sure. But, you know, look, rotator cuff surgery is so much fun, right? Because everyone's a little different. 100%. You got to have a lot of tricks in the bag to be able to do stuff. Uh, some of it can be really hard. Some of it can be pretty straightforward. But, you know, I always say, I mean, get your 10,000 reps and be a master and an expert in something, right? I mean, some people choose to do a lot of things, but I, I'm right there with you on that. So, but tell us about your practice. I mean, you bought a private practice. I mean, do you have partners? I mean, <laughs> no, I'm all by myself. I actually listened to your podcast with a um, young woman out of Manhattan Beach this morning, the one you did this summer, and she sure. really resonated with me. She's doing a lot of work with regenerative medicine. So shout out to her, Rana Parsa. Is that yep, correct? Exactly. Yeah, Rana Parsa, she's exactly. phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel her pain and I feel her glory. So I'm entirely by myself. I have been for 10 years. And um, I guess that's a nice seg into to talking about the other stuff, which is that I'm obsessed with operational efficiency by necessity, right? So um, in order to survive this uh, crazy consolidation pressure and all of this aggregation in the market, I have to get creative and it never stops. You never stop trying to come up with ways to operate more efficiently. So um, I'm clinical three and a half days a week now, and I have two and a half full-time equivalent employees. So I have a salaried practice manager, a salaried clinical slash surgical coordinator uh, who answers the phone on my two clinic days, and then I have a part-time x-ray tech. And we're a very tight-knit team. We work very well together. Um, I pride myself on retention and longevity. Uh, but, um, but yeah, small office, very boutique setting, and we just go. <laughs> Well, you got to have somebody helping to cross cover for call. I don't, I'm, you're probably not taking ER call, but not you still anymore. Have, okay. But somebody, if you got to go, you got to take vacations. So you got some local people that'll help take care of your patients. For 100%. You. We have a very um, strong and competitive orthopedic community locally. Um, you know, I stay afloat amidst, you know, we have 
Cleveland Clinic, HCA Tenet, HSS moved in a couple years ago, uh, but we're all collegial and I have plenty of, of people I can reach out to to cross cover when I go away. So That's great. And I know that uh, my mother lives in Boynton Beach, so she's going to absolutely adore you and she's going to be saying, I want to go see her for my shoulder and my hand problems. So can't look wait. Out, look, look out for Judy. She's coming your way. We'll give uh, her the VIP treatment. <laughs> right, that's awesome. So you, you, you brought up a few things which I think are super important. And, you know, in my 30 years now in medicine, it seems like the foundation of healthcare is completely unsettled you know, more than ever, right? Outside pressures from hospitals coming in. You got Cleveland Clinic that was to set up down in Florida. I got Mass General and the Brigham coming out to the community. You've got the pandemic that comes and then there's upheaval in medical practice. How are you communicating to your patients? So I want to talk about modernizing medicine and your role there as the medical director of the orthopedic platform. And I think that, you know, we we love technology on the ortho show and, and i know that your one of your quotes and you had a white paper that you wrote specifically embracing technology so let's let's roll through that how what are you doing there how is it helping your clinical practice and and let's share the story sure so i became a client of modernizing medicine in the summer of 2018 um i had to move away from my uh ehr uh vendor uh i was not uh, able to afford an in-house server um, and I kept asking them when they were going to come out with a cloud-based version of their platform. And it just, they kept kicking the can. Um, and so I was paying a lot in transcription fees. I was paying a lot for this remote server. I couldn't do anything away from my office. It was very scan intensive and therefore labor intensive. And I looked around at what other friends of mine in the community were using, not necessarily in orthopedics, but in ear, nose and throat and ophthalmology. And I kept seeing modernizing medicine pop up. And these were people who were contemporaneous with me, people who I tried to emulate in the, their style of practice. And so I did some digging and I realized that this company was in my backyard because we're Boca Raton based, um, started by Dan Kane, who had a very successful exit um, early on, in, a pioneer in the online uh, education uh, space. He was the founder of Blackboard which I sort of missed. It's, I think the generation right after me used that for their syllabi and course schedules. Um, and then Michael Sherling, who's my boss, who's a dermatologist by training. He's actually a, a Harvard guy. He was the associate uh, residency program director for Derm there. And so the two of them came together and built the software for dermatology. And ModMed Dermato is synonymous with dermatology EHR. I mean, they really own the space. Um, but we also um, support EMT, ophthalmology, ortho, gastroenterology, plastics, urology. And I, I really liked what they had. Some of the things I liked about it were that everything was on the cloud. I loved that they had practice management and EHR. We've since launched revenue cycle management and ModMed Pay. And I liked that it was mobile device friendly. So we had apps for the phone. We had an app for the iPad. And so you kind of go from room to room with your iPad, which is a lot more personal than staring at a desktop station with your back to the patient. Very off-putting. Never wanted to be that kind of surgeon. A little more interactive for the patient, but you're you're evaluating the patient and counseling them. And as you're doing this, you're subtly kind of laying out what you want to do so that by the time you walk out of the room, your documentation is not done. We automate things. So we calculate the evaluation and management code for you. If you do an injection, we drop the modifier and the 20610. The system knows that's the CPT code for your mom. 
This is that the CPT code or how we get paid to do a shoulder injection. It knows whether you used ultrasound guidance for the injection or not, all of these other things. It gets to know your preference. So um, if within a week of being on the system, I only ever saw shoulder and upper extremity content. The spine stuff was hidden from me. The knee stuff was hidden from me. There was no internal medicine content to sift through. Um, so it gets to know your preferences so that the more time you spend on the system, the faster, the faster, and faster you get. And so with all of these disruptions in the workforce and our ability to conduct care in person, it, it was just, uh, it was like existential for anybody who didn't have these tools, you know, it was an existential moment. You know, it, it's interesting because, you know, for our listeners that that aren't in the business, I mean, the EHR, the electronic health record was really sort of put into play to sort of be able to have, have sort of universal communication between doctors so that we're all sort of doing the same thing, moving away from crusty paper, you know, to computers. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it, it can be arduous. It can be time consuming. You know, we run Athena net in our office and yet it's Cerner at the hospital. And now Cerner is dropping out and we have to do Epic. We have to now learn another EMR system. So it can be really, you know, very difficult. And then, you know, it's a business, right? You know, right, Veronica, we're not just, yep. an, I mean, we, we, we employ people, we want to be efficient with our patients. So, you know, the revenue cycle management, you know, being, which, which basically is just how you get paid, right? That's how you generate the revenue. Having a system that has revenue cycle management and your EHR sort of tied together, I think is awesome. And then yeah. you know, the simplicity of, being able to stare at your patient, look at your patient and have that interaction, I think is really super important. Yeah, it's great. You know, it's, Scott, it's not a sexy conversation to have. Nobody wants to talk about EHR. We rather be talking about the balloon spacer or the next, you know, thing that we're going to tinker with or have in our armamentarium to take care of patients. But at the end of the day, when you look at EHR, it is a very important, the single most important tool other than our training and experience, the intangibles of training and experience to make sure that we get compensated for our work and our expertise and, and to keep us out of trouble. And, and so we should pay attention to it. Right. Uh, and I was very averse to it when I first came out of my training, but, uh, all it took was to, um, be the person who does QuickBooks for my practice to realize the import of, of it. So, you know, now, I walk out the door and the last thing I, I know is what charges I posted for the day. So I'm able to get that information in real time because my notes are finalized and all of my claims are submitted. And I know when I'm walking out the door, what, what I generated and what I charged that day. That's, that's really awesome because I, w- I want to talk about that because we're, we're struggling right now with, with the system that we're currently using. And by the way, the modernizing medicine people, I was at the Academy uh, in September, you know, the first time we got back, it was out, out in San Diego. They nearly tackled me as I walked <laughs> by, <laughs> you know, I'm hanging out with Heather Hoover, our producer, and we've got our ortho show, you know, swagger on. And she, I can't remember her name. She's like, bro, she went literally running t- down the floor to get me she's like bro bro we want to show you this come back i was like of course of course and you know so we've developed a relationship and now obviously we're thrilled to have modernizing medicine as a, a sponsor for our podcast but you know it, you know it's interesting as you talk about that like one of my partners a hand partner and, and a physiatrist you know they see 70 or 80 patients in a clip they'll go home 
and then have to sit down and finish charts, right? And I'm like, yeah. I just can't even imagine no way after an eight hour day going to finish charts at home for two hours, right? You want to get it. You want to walk out, you want to be done, right? And then yeah. what's really cool about, about modernizing medicine is that you can see, like, I love that, right? You can see this is what I did today, right? And it's done. Totally. The charges are entered too. I mean, there's nothing else to do. Yeah, the charges are entered. And, you know, the other thing that's really nice about the system is that I I have always liked dictating my exam and a little bit of flavor into my note. And so with a lot of EHRs, you sort of lose that or it's 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 either all one way or all another way, all structured or all just transcription. And the nice thing about um, about our system is that I'm able to dictate everything that I want on the iPad because we have a built-in nuance module that lets you save macros and whatnot. But everything that's sort of repetitive and burdensome about documentation, um, you just click a button. So to me, that that's that's the beauty of it because that's what sort of grinds at the end of the day is that you're like, dictating having given an injection or dictating the risks and benefits of a procedure or, you know, going through the counseling with the patient over and over again. And that, that, that repetitiveness is, it it sort of starts to eat away at you. And so when you take that out of the equation, it sort of helps restore your zest for office days, for lack of a better word. I mean, we all prefer the OR day. I don't think there's an orthopedic surgeon under the sun that doesn't. But um, this makes the office days a little less, um, you know, draining. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I've cheated the way my cheat is I have a scribe now who sits there with the computer and I don't deal with that. But, you know, with the other thing is, you know, we still use some, we use paper for our office visits. We found out the other day, you know, that as many as perhaps 20% of our office sheets may not be making their way through the system, which, you know, you think about 12 physicians and six extenders. I mean, that's, that's just a lot of lost potential revenue, revenue cycle management, you know, in combination with an electronic health record, I think is, is super paramount to be able to have, you know, have good, have great care of patients and run a business efficiently so that you can continue to, to practice. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. No, agreed. Yeah, no, that's great. So, so, I mean, how do people, how do people, so, you know, we got a ton of listeners here. You're going to be yeah. definitely generating some interest here. How do the orthopedic surgeons that are listening today find out more about modernizing medicine and what the options are? Sure. So uh, modmed.com, or they can reach out to me. I'm listed in the AAOS. I'm listed in the Shoulder and Elbow Society directory and the Hand Society. And I, um, my role at the company, even though I interact with the executive leadership team and sales and marketing and business development and product and client services, my number one purpose that I serve is to interface with our surgeon clients and their supporting staff. So um, my number one priority has always been and will always be Dr. Ease of Use. And it's kind of fun because I now have co-residents and co-fellows who are on the software. And, you know, sometimes they don't like uh, how something is working or they think that there's a, a, you know, a product gap and I help point them in the right direction. And it's been very rewarding for me because, um, being in a very purely private practice, I felt like, you know, I don't teach, I don't publish, I'm not really involved with industry. Like, what am I going to give back? And I feel like this is my way of giving back to our people. 
um, in, a, in, an, in an area that has historically been a huge pay, pain point for them. So just sort of demystifying the whole process. Um, and uh, yeah, we, I'm happy to give any of your listeners a, a little personal demo if they'd like to do that. So, uh, but we have a whole core of very, very talented uh, sales solutions engineers and salespeople who um, are, 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 are hungry to help. So. No, I think that's a really great point. You know, Matthew Ray Scott and I are going to be starting a, a physician branding course. It's a master's physician branding course to help doctors sort of figure out what their message is and then how to communicate their message, right? So clinical practice is super important for you. You're, you're, you're still part of societies, the Hand Society and the super exclusive club of the ASCS. And, but, but yet, you know, but you're in private practice, but yet this is something that you developed passion for and now you're a part of it. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to be able to try and, and do the exact same thing, help people develop those messages, whatever it may be, academics, industry, writing papers, you know, whatever it may be. Help Don't forget study. to invite me. Oh, of course. Well, we're we're definitely going to have a little special guest star on the whole EHR uh, uh, revenue cycle management process. For sure. You're there. No question. And I want to attend. I think there's a lot for me to learn and glean from that. Yeah. Well, the beard has got a lot going on and we're, we're really excited about it. We've been all over uh, LinkedIn talking about it. There's been some really good buzz about it. So we're excited about that, but listen, Veronica, it's been a pleasure having you on. I love the ortho show. We get to meet such amazing, people you're dynamic you're electrifying you're passionate you know you're going to take care of my mother so we can't thank you enough for your time coming on the show today the pleasure is all mine scott thank you so much my pleasure this is dr scott sigmund hashtag follow the fro host of the ortho show till next time 